Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Is the Toffee Web Podcast. Hello, Blues, and welcome to the 50th edition of the Toffee Web Podcast, which we wish we were bringing you in an air of greater positivity, but Everton lost at Goodison Park for the first time under Sean Dyche on Saturday, going down 2 0 to Aston Villa and dropping back into the relegation zone thanks to Leeds' victory over Southampton and West Ham's surprisingly convincing win over Nottingham Forest. Deitch himself reflected on a result that was harsh on the toffees given the overall pattern of the game, particularly in the first half, but Everton's chronic inability to score goals ultimately cost them and is going to be a constant issue over the remaining 14 games. Uh, Andy, Howard and Paul Trailer here with me, as is El Bretland. And El, I'm going to come to you for, for the first word on this because you joked in our chat group on Saturday that uh, you try and be off your recruitment soapbox by the time you recorded here on Monday evening, but I don't see how we can get away from it. Uh, we're paying dearly uh, for the failings in January at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, that that, that centre-forward role is, is the missing piece of the puzzle. And I, I, I said on, on social media after the game that I feel like if we had that centre-forward who can you know win headers run the channels, hold the ball up. I actually think the Sean Dijeverson team is a pretty well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it won't win any league titles soon, but I think it would be quite efficient. Um, and I think really, if you've got that striker up there who who makes the same runs as Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, you know, has that awareness in the box and that ability to finish those chances, I genuinely think we could have been about 2 or 3-0 up at half-time. And it's a completely different game. And I think um, that's... That sort of, I think the game sort of encapsulated where we're at. That yes, Sean Dyche will keep you in a game, as we said last week, and 
Um, you know, he's got a plan because I actually think elements of the Aston Villa game were better than the Leeds victory. I just felt that it was a bit of a, there was more of a, a, a cohesion there. Whereas I, I feel like with Leeds, we were under the cosh a bit. I feel that although Villa, you know, scored twice against us and we kept the clean sheet against Leeds, I almost feel like Leeds caused us a few more problems. And I would almost say that, you know, I was buoyed in the first half because very similar to the Arsenal game, Aston Villa have got some very technically talented footballers and they were really good in possession and getting forward. And then it was very similar that I think we got a corner and we, you know, we were we were boosted by that. And I noticed Aston Villa drop deep. They dropped deeper. Uh, because I, th- I think they noticed the way we were going to play and were a bit wary of that. Um, but then, as I say, Dwight McNeil has put in a number of good balls and there's just been nobody there because, you know, it's not it's not a slight on Neil Morpé, but he's not that striker. He's not that striker to lead the line in that role. And it, it reminded me of what Paul said a few weeks ago about Chris Wood. Um, he fits the bill for that role. And I feel like even if Everton had signed a fourth division striker, so long as he's about six foot three and can hold the ball up, I think he instantly improves this side. I think that I think that's the difference. I don't think it's a a thing about quality or tactics. I think it's now about the functionality of the team, and it almost reminds me of like you know like a a dad at Christmas. I think I've used this analogy before. He buys all the presents, but then he forgets the batteries, so you can't you can't use any of the any of the gifts. You know what I mean? And it, it feels like that that. We've got something there, but it, it can never be successful in the way we want it to be. You know, there will be occasions where we do take the lead and we are quite resolute at the back, but at the moment it does feel under Sean Dyche that without a striker, it's first goal the winner. If Everton, and that, you know, that's been the case in the four games. Whoever scores first wins the game. Um, and I think what I really noticed about Saturday was the fact that, yes, we don't have a target man to hold it up, but it's 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 the fact that before the penalty, Tarkovsky took a heavy touch trying to beat the Villa forward. And I think if we had a number nine up there, like a traditional number nine, I think he hoofs it. So I think now, because we don't have the confidence to go long because we know it won't stick, I think that's where the defensive errors maybe creep in as well and where, you know, that lack of concentration. Because I know Deitch has said, you know, it's it's up to the forwards to, you know, defend from the front. And, you know, it's up to the defenders and the midfielders to chip in with goals. I know he said that recently as well. So, for me, it's just the entire cohesion of the team. You know, we, we will win more games this season under Deitch, but I feel like we'll lose games we should win as well because we don't have that striker. Because I, I worked out as well, uh, of the 17 goals we've scored, one was an own goal, one was a penalty, and only three of the others have come inside the six-yard box. So, we're not actually having those runners into the six-yard box and... One of them was the header, Tarkovsky against Arsenal. One was Connor Cody tapping in at the back post from a knockdown from a free kick. And the other was Mikalenko against uh, Crystal Palace, where Anthony Gordon actually got the rebound. So we actually haven't sort of created where our strikers ran into the box and, and scored like that. A lot of them have been, you know, Damari Gray, brilliant at City. Neil Morpé from the edge of the area. Um, but, you know, Neil Morpé is not going to score from the edge of the area every game. And... We're just not getting into that six-yard box enough, and I think that's that is the, I, honestly, I think that's it's as simple as that for me. It, that's the real difference. I think the team, you know, has its uh, strengths now. I think there's a real efficiency there, but if you don't put the ball in the net, you will. You, it's impossible to win a game of football. Yeah, 
I've got this image now of this uh, Everton character running around just before Christmas, trying to buy anything just before <laughs> the kind of Christmas window shut, <laughs> uh, and ultimately coming home with nothing or not much. Um, and yeah, real disappointment on Christmas morning. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, it's. It, it, I agree with everything El just said. I, I think it feels like that kind of. When a project starts, and I don't use that like using that word very often, but if, if when a project starts, you, you, we can already see that this project is probably going to go on some kind of line of progression upwards. You can see that that the team is better prepared and certainly more prepared to stay in a Premier League football match. I think that line won't be straight, and this was one of the, the weeks that came back down towards the the old performance, and you'll get a kind of wiggly upward line. My my overall feeling is that that's fine if we've got enough time for those those things to come into place and it's just the timing now it just i would have no doubt at all that if Sean Dyche was the Everton manager at the beginning of the season or even after the world cup that these things either through recruitment or through just working with the players more would have time to iron out and that line of progression may be a bit straighter i think what we saw Against Arsenal was just an instant impact. Uh, we then had a bit of an anomaly at Liverpool. So you, you have that kind of downward bit. And then you had the upward bit against Leeds where you think, well, we got a result through not playing very well, but it's functional. This was actually better in terms of performance. But you have that downward progression again because not all the pieces of the jigsaw clicked. Um, and I'm just hope upon hope upon hope that this line of progression I'm talking about has enough time to to give us enough points. Because um, it's not as if we're sitting here after a few weeks of Sean Dyche thinking, oh, crikey, this is not a lot better, is it? Um, this is looking very much like it did, or this is not much better than it did. I think it looks a world away from where we were, but it, I'm really concerned about timing. I'm a bit more positive. Um, well done, Paul. That, that's, that, that's all I've got, though. <laughs> <laughs> and also, thank God that the uh, these days, like if you forget, if the, you get gifts about batteries on Christmas, there's tons of petrol garages open now. There used to be, did there? Used to be the odd shop. Now, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. So I live around the corner from one. I've learned I don't need batteries on until <laughs> the day. Um, where am I going with this? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think just picking up on something that Al was saying about uh, we haven't gotten the six-yard box enough. And that, you, you're, you're dead right if you're looking at that throughout the course of the season. Because how many chances were we creating per game under Frank Lampard? How many times, you know, you, you, know, you really like, you know, you remember times like Dominic Harvard-Lewin, the games have been available, he'd miss, he'd miss one reasonable chance. And that was, that was all he'd probably get. And everyone would be like, oh, bloody hell. Can't believe you missed that, but that that was that was. I think we were literally talking like one one maybe two decent chances per game on the front Lampard. And now, what gives me more confidence is that we're creating a lot of chances. Um, certainly against Aston Villa, we created tons of chances, and that's that's what worried me at half time. While you were buoyant, I was like, yeah, it was good, but I'm, I'm concerned that we haven't taken the chances, and that you know what it's like if you don't score when you're on top. We've seen enough times what tends to happen, but. I just think with the the law of averages, I suppose, and the more that the more the players do this, and Sean Dyche touched upon this uh, today, and 
That's what I love about Sean Dyche. He even said that myself. He's a, he's a glass glass half full sort of guy, isn't he? And he really is. I love his positivity in press conferences. He says, well, you know, if, if you know, a lot of averages, if you keep on getting in them positions, you might, you know, one way of looking at it is, oh, wait, I'm never going to score. The other way is, well, I've got to score soon. And literally the averages, the statistics will tell you that. So that's good. And I think if, if Aston Villa and Leeds games are, are templates of what's to come and that, we're going to create more than most teams most teams around us, let's say, in that bottom half of them teams around there, who we should have a chance of beating, uh, and concede, and don't concede too many opportunities. More often than not, I think we'll, something will go in. And more often than not, not a lot goes in the event if we keep on with that template. Mope, I think he's getting into the position to score. He's not hiding, I'd say that much for him. He's not, he's, he's trying, you know what I mean? I feel sorry for him. Um, it's, it must be tough when you're short on confidence and nothing's going in. He was unlucky with the one in the second half, wasn't he? He was pretty brave going in for that and that got cleared off the line. He missed, missed the easy chances in the first half. That's a player short on confidence, obviously. Um, but if he keeps getting in that positions and keeps trying, he will go in. Now, that doesn't take away anything you were saying, Al, about the board not backing. Um, you know, whoever's been in charge at the time and getting plays through the door, it's criminal that didn't happen. And we've been through that and we'll go over it again and again, I'm sure, because it's it's important that we do because it's, uh, it's it, you know, it's it's a key factor in all of this. But I'm encouraged. You're seeing players getting into the box. You're seeing, like, you know, you, you say we haven't scored inside six-yard box. I think we could have scored a couple of goals from inside the six-yard box just against the available alone. You know what I mean? And with a bit more luck and better finishing, we would have done. And keep doing that. More opportunities will come. Um, so a bit more, yeah, down but not out. If you know, what I mean, a bit more, a bit more encouraged. So, um, think keep doing that. That template against Aston Villa, keep doing that. I think we'll get enough wins doing that. And that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I was encouraged and discouraged for the for the for the same for the same reason that we were finally starting to create chances. I like the fact that we're getting players into the box a lot more than we were under Lampard. As you say, we had those chances in the in the in the six yard box, but they're not going in. Um and I think that's a lot of it I think comes down to, to confidence and part of it just comes down to the fact that we just don't have someone who's naturally prolific in that role. And I think Mope's um statistics over the lifetime of his career probably bear that out. Um, and so in that sense, I, I just feel that Deitch is fighting with both hands tied behind his back on this one, really. I think we saw in that match a lot of what we've seen over and over at Goodison down the years, particularly under Moyes, uh, when we were scrapping either down in the bottom half or punching above our weight near the top. Lots of effort, determination. Um, but you know, back then, at least we had someone to stick the ball in the back of the net. We're not only short on strikers, but I mean, basically any, any striker... Um, with any kind of record for consistently scoring goals, but we have next to no goals in the team at all. And that's that's the thing that really worries me is McNeil's not a goal-scoring winger. Iwobi gets two a season if he's lucky. Onana's obviously still adapting to a new league and is young. Um, and he only has one for us so far. Dukuri, I think, has five goals in three years. Adrissa Gay's scored four in, in total time he's been with us. Um, and so... Yeah, I, I just made that mention after the game that you know he's told the players that it's it's everyone's everyone's job to score, um, but I think one of his biggest tasks now is to try and instill in them the belief that they actually can, um, because Iwobi's finish for that chance was it like the eighth minute or something that that was not a finish of a confident player. I think it just lacked conviction. I think mean, I think he miskicked it more than anything. 
Um, and as he did later when that, that shot that came off Kansa that bounced back to Mope, um, that was going wide. And he was, you know, in front of goal. Um, we've had, you know, we've had that issue with um, McNeil's, whether that was a shot or, or a, a sort of getting the ball back into the box at Anfield before they scored their goal. Um, there just seems to be this lack of belief up top right now. Um, I was watching that compilation of the Lukaku goals that was going around on Twitter a few days ago. And what stood out to me was just how hard he struck the ball. And it makes a difference because I think that just your confidence, I mean, Lukaku was never short on confidence. And I think that comes out in the fact he just puts his foot through it. You know, and you're going to give yourself, you know, assuming you had hit the target, you're going to give yourself a much better chance. Um, so we've seen McNeil score really confidently taking goal at Southampton, but then failed to, to take that one effort, that one chance on Saturday when he was in on the keeper, but with his weaker foot. Um, so again, I think just guys need to somehow get the belief in them that they can score. Um, but that obviously comes from scoring regularly, which we don't do. So it's a bit of a vicious, um, a vicious circle. And, and also what I was talking about in terms of the timing of all this, you know, we are trying to implement new things and get right. a bit of confidence going forward. Right. When we we are under the cosh, because look at the table, you know, it's not as if we're doing this in August where you think, okay, we might not have enough, but in terms of the, the personnel, but I think over the months it will come. Right. It, it kind of has to come. Yeah. I mean, I'd caveat what I just said with, I think uh, what uh, Al or Paul, you're both sort of making the same point that it will, it, 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 if we keep doing it, it, eventually it will come. You've got to make your own luck in these situations. Um, and I think the more that we do it and the fact that we're doing it far more than we did before under Lampard, I, I think, you know, I think I put in my report that we're kind of living on the margins right now and games are going, you know, one way they're teetering one way or the other on, on very small margins and goals, Goals change games, and we've got to try and find a way um, of scoring goals. Um, so I think on that score, I'll ask you, fellas, um, probably for me, and is it is it Mope, is it Sims, or is it Gray? And I think this obviously this this question may change depending on the opposition. Maybe that's different for Arsenal on Wednesday um, when you go with the guy most likely to get you a goal out of nowhere. Uh, either on the break or smacking one in from 25 yards as he did at City. And obviously that's Damari Gray. Um, we've seen some nice things from Ellis Sims, um, but that was obviously at Goodison where he's obviously going to have a much more favourable uh, favorable platform to do it. Um, and then you've got Mope, who do you do you put your faith in the fact that eventually it's going to come right for him and he just needs something to break for him? What, what, what do we think? Um, for, for me, I think it needs to be Damari Gray because I think while... He's sort of the perfect impact player. I think where he would probably give you the most off the bench. I think it's a case that um, we need more movement and more sort of forward running because Neil Morpay really isn't going to get hold of the ball and and drive forward. He's some someone who more will you know take a take a quick shot or make a quick sort of layoff and try and get it back and take a shot. Whereas Gray, I think, can basically keep the ball in the final third longer. Because I think that's where Ellis Sims has probably proved a bit more uh, effective than than Morpé uh, as well when he's come on that he's just, the ball just seems to stick for that second longer to get other players forward. But something interesting I noticed on uh, during the first half was the Mari Gray was warming up with uh, and Yerry Mina came along and he was deep in chat. Now I've got to say they could have been talking about anything, but 
Gray just looked a little bit frustrated. And he was doing like a, a zigzag to Sherwin And in my mind, I'm thinking he's saying, look at that that, you know, our teammates just done. I could have got through there. And he was in, in conversation for about a good minute. And I, I like that, that, you know, if, if that is the case, you know, he, he's frustrated at, at not getting a game because I think Damari Gray's the sort of player that with fire in his belly, he can produce those magic moments. Um, but, but but for me, yeah, I think it's just a case of, you know, that those 10 yards with, with the team pushing up and stuff, the ball needs to start sticking a bit more. And obviously, Damari Gray isn't a target man as such, but he can make those runs. And I think he stretches the defence more as well. And I think what I would say is very similar to um, his goal against Nottingham Forest at home and very similar to Anthony Gordon's goal uh, against Brentford. We've got Tarkovsky's ability to play that forward ball. Um, and I think that I think Damari Gray running across the defence would just would help him. And I think he'd be able to get a few shots away. But I just think it would give Anana and Decore a bit more licence to support as well, to, to get forward. Um, so, you know, I, I know that Deitch's team is set up in a certain way and Damari Gray maybe doesn't fit that as a lone striker. But I think with Gray, I think he'd be able to get, not a partnership as such, but I think he'd be able to utilise one of the midfielders a bit better as well to, to get that support. Um, and as well, there's the alternative that is there a certain game where you could put Gray up front with the Sims or with a, with a Morpé? And take one of the central midfielders out, but again, have have we got enough to do that, and and would it work? So it's very interesting. I do not envy Sean Dyche whatsoever, um, but I think it's important to try and get one of those midfielders involved in the attacks. I think for me, it will probably be an honour when the ball's in the air. I think when it's on the ground, if the Corey can get forward, I think he's better there. But just something else as well. Why does the 18-yard box turn into an ice rink when Decore gets the ball lately? Uh, it's, it's just astounding. Like, yeah. the, he does get into good positions, but it's sort of as he's setting himself, his foot just slips. <laughs> I think it's happened about three games now. So so that's something else that it's just, as you mentioned, Lyndon, you need to keep going to create your luck. And now I've said that, I'm hoping that he, he gets into the 18-yard box and cracks one in the top corner against Arsenal. But mm-hmm. yeah, for me, I think it's got to be Damari Gray just because from what I've seen so far, the ball just isn't sticking up there long enough. And, it, you know, obviously the attack's suffering for that, but I think that the defence is suffering for that as well. Yeah, I think certainly against um, certainly against Arsenal. I think that we, I, I look at what you said, the, the, the goals that we scored against Brentford and, and at Leeds um, and obviously the goal at City. I mean, we, I think we've scored only two from open play since... October in the Premier League and then that additional one was at Bournemouth and that was obviously Gray coming off the bench I think at Arsenal he's the one I would go for because I think you've got at this point you've got to go with the player most likely to put it in the net and him being our our top scorer is the one that I would put my money on particularly in this kind of game where I think uh, set pieces and breakaways is really our only hope really against Arsenal I've got a little table here that I've just made it's probably a load of rubbish. But the, the things I've got across the top are, are finishing, hold-up play, tactical awareness, and the ability to make something out of nothing, which obviously this Everton team badly needs because we, until this point, we, we don't create a lot. Yeah. I think you'd give... I think I'd say that Gray was the best finisher of the three we're talking about. I'd say probably... <laughs> I don't know who the best hold-up player is. Let's give Sims a point because I, he looks like he probably could do that. 
I think Mope would probably get the point for the best tactical awareness in, in terms of where he is on the pitch to defend from the front. But what gives Gray that extra X factor is the fact that he can make something out of nothing. Um, and on nights away from home, like we've got coming up, like we had at Manchester City, you may just need to make something out of nothing. And there may well be space in behind the Arsenal defence rather than in front of it, the way they play. Um, and I don't know what he'll do in terms of what he will actually... I would choose Gray. I wonder whether he might think oh, what I said last week in terms of how much do I want to change it at this point? You know, how much do I want to... Do, do I want to try and get some kind of momentum and, and you never know with Mope like we were just saying having a few more games it might just come it might just click it, it's a toss up between those two um, I don't know what you think Paul but I, I would give the point another point to Gray just yeah I'm in I'm in the Neil Mope camp and I think I'm in a, I don't I don't think I'm a I'm a lone voice just in this podcast or for that I think I'm a pretty lone voice amongst Evertonians throughout for that because it doesn't seem to be an awful lot of support for um for Mope which is fair enough because he's not scoring any goals uh, and so you, you 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 can't argue with that just for the the Mainly for the reason I said before and that he's getting in them positions it reminds me uh, 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 there's a time when um Jermaine Beckford was just like, uh, I forget it was a particular game and he missed a ton of chances. West Brom rings a bell, I'm not sure though. And I think the thing was, Phil Neville and Moyes not were getting behind him after saying, oh, you know, he's getting in the right positions, the goals are come. And he did come eventually. Yeah, he was never a prolific player for us, but he was, he was handy enough until he was sold. Um, and Mopey, I just do a job, you say, scoring something that on often well, is, is, is one Everton goal, at least, was something that on often actually against, against West Ham. No less than the Marley Graves was really. You know what I mean? It was it was wasn't really that you know that great a chance. It was a bit of a snapshot hit and hope and it went in, you know. So he, he can do that. And maybe once he gets gets a goal off his arse or whatever, then maybe he'll get you know, that that sort of stuff might happen. I don't know. But it's it's really desperate, isn't it? That's yeah, it, it and it kinda it kinda highlights the options. Nothing's perfect there. Nothing's anywhere near perfect there, whoever we go with. Um, I think in terms of like the height he doesn't have in comparison, I mean, you hook the ball up there. The striker doesn't necessarily have to win it every time. You know what I mean? It's, and he does a fair job of causing a nuisance by you. And if players are getting in and around it, and Sean Dyche knows that, you know? So um, I'd like to per- personally persevere with, with him a bit. I'm... Um, if we're talking about the Arsenal game specifically, which probably serves a good, a good a time as any to, to roll on to there, um, I think it's a game where we probably it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to make a few changes in. Um, now I don't, I'm not talking about a you know change all eleven players like we did at Bournemouth in the Carabao Cup, um, but I think let's be realistic here. Arsenal away, it's we could we could put our best 11 out and give it everything, huff and puff and, and lose quite probably. Um, whereas, you know, do you want that going into a huge, huge game on Sunday? Or do you want to rest a few players who are carrier knocks or who are a bit out of form? And is that an opportunity to, I don't know, Connor Cody's unfortunately become a little bit of this sort of like, oh no, sort of player, hasn't he, when people think about him? And certainly mm-hmm. we've got so many centre-backs, you think if it's got to be worth worth playing, Yevi Mina or Michael Keane or whoever is the one that I don't like to go. Certainly like to see Demarvi Gray get a game on Wednesday, whether that's up front or whether that's on the wing. I think Anon has probably got a little bit of a knock, or we know he had. And we, we know he did going into that game. He was a bit off colour, perhaps down to 
the call the colour of the card he had after two minutes against the Aston Villa. That didn't help. But he was a bit poor, wasn't he, on um Saturday? He didn't quite see him all there. Could be a chance to rest him and yeah, though could you bring a Wobi into the middle perhaps or something like that? And then maybe it's a chance to give Sims a go. And you know, what what more can we learn about Sims? Maybe I don't know, or, or is that throwing them into the lines again, like like a bit like it felt at, at Anfield? I don't know, but I'm not I'm not I'm not calling for wholesale changes against Arsenal, but I think it's worth trying out a few different ones and and, and maybe resting one or two it might be Carrier Knox uh, going into the big game at uh, at Forest on Sunday. It does feel as if if Sims went in, you might have a zero a, a Liverpool Mark Two scenario. Mm. Um, where it, it may not be, it's not fair on a lot of strikers to play up front on their own at Arsenal mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, I don't know whether the incredibly hard. I don't know. I mean, so hard to tell, isn't it? But I, I, I would, I would think that after seeing him at Anfield like we did, I don't know whether that would really be the game for him to try. Um, uh, and I, I'm along with you. I, I think what's the most important game this week? It's the Forest game, obviously. Is is the Arsenal game almost a chance to have a look at a couple of other players? Like I'm thinking Godfrey. You've mentioned Nina. Um, we could see someone else up front. You, you know, is is it a almost a strange chance to try a couple of things um, away from the glare of a relegation six pointer, which we've got you know coming up on the horizon again? I don't know. Um, that, that's 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 what I'm thinking. He why I'm thinking he might. But then the the other side of that coin is we beat this lot two weeks ago, playing a very particular way with a very particular team. Will he just think? Well, if we've done it once, we can do it again. Yeah, definitely. I think as well. I, I've mentioned Damari Gray up front, but I think what I've noticed is that Awobi is a completely different player from when he's at wide and when he's in the middle. And you could almost yeah. still have Neil Moore play up front, but you could maybe. Put Damari Gray on the wing, take one of the central midfielders out, and have a Wobi as as that creative playmaker. Be you know behind, and then that aids Neil Moore play then because you're playing it more into his feet rather than at his head. Um, so the there may be that element as well, but it does. It just feels like there's, there's just a few weaknesses in the squad where you can't change it that much because you just don't know what it's what it's going to bring. But I think I agree as well that. I think it's the opportunity to change the backline and and see what the what the guys who haven't been given a chance yet are about, because then obviously that bodes well going forward that we've got more options. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'd like to see Yerry Mina at least if if it's you know if it's nil nil after an hour, I'd like to see him at least thrown on for a um, for the for his set piece threat if you know if nothing else. Um, and Cody is the one I think that I would. Uh, sacrifice in that instance um, because neither one of them is is all that quick as we saw um, on Saturday and I think positionally that Cody is he can really be suspect sometimes um, but and in terms of the those attacking solutions I, I think that Deitch is, is loath to get rid of the legs in midfield that those that the Dukure, Gay, Onan and Awobi um, give you but I think that, that you're right now. I think we're going to have to have some kind of um, some kind of compromise there to try and bring in some some different some different elements. Uh, and and having two players playing closer to each other up front is if Mope is going to be one of them is certainly going to help him and get as you say getting the ball on the deck and getting it to feet. Uh, I fear that 
if he goes again with Sims, and we will have a, a, a repeat of the Anfield situation just because he will be that much isolated. Um, and, you know, he's despite his size, he's, he doesn't really hold the ball up as well as a Calvert-Lewin. And maybe that will come with, well, hopefully that will come with time, you know, as he gets stronger and more aware of the game. But, uh, yeah, I fear that uh, it, will, it will be a case of sort of throwing him to the lines a bit if we were to go with him. Uh, but I do, but I do like the idea of of ch- of changing it up and, and seeing seeing what what other things we can do, particularly in a game where I think we are on a hiding to nothing uh, on on Wednesday evening. Then so we said that against these last time, didn't we? We did, we did. That's true. You know, and it's uh, that's why they play the games is because you know anything anything can happen. Uh, it's just that we're unfortunately, you know, we go into these games with such trepidation now because we. T- we're just not scoring goals, and you know that you can. You, a Brentford, for instance, can go to to Arsenal and and frustrate them and restrict them to a draw because they got Ivan Tony up front, uh, and you know, he he scores a striker's goal. Um, we just don't have that. Um, I think we we know for sure that Calvert Lewin won't be there uh, on Wednesday. I don't think he's going to be there on Sunday either. I think we can maybe look at the Brentford game as as perhaps one they're eyeing to bring him back. And so, until then, we just got to try and find find some solution um, to what is a uh, a very vexing problem. Well, we said that the once when he appointed, can Sean Dyche find a way? And <laughs> he's still it's still the challenge, isn't it? And it will be for the next fourteen games or however many we got. Uh, yeah, it's got to find a way. <laughs> it's, it's it's just as simple as that. I mean, that, but the thing is, as, as I said, it's. He's found a way to create chances, a heck of a lot more chances than what we were. Yeah. So that, that that's half the battle, isn't it? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's creating chances. If we weren't, there, yeah. you know, if it was the same amount of chance creation, then we, then blimey, we'd, we'd really be really be uh, really be concerned. Well, concerned, but more concerned. But um, it's uh, but yeah, it's. I'm I'm kind of in Sean Dyche's camp of um, if you just keep creating the chances, surely something goes in. I wonder if, uh, and I think he said that he's already said as much. Uh, the James gone, and it's a bit too soon for him. But he, I don't know if you've seen him in the press conferences. He, he seems to speak quite glowingly about gone. I mean, he said, you know, he seems to see him a lot. Which he lives in Nottingham, doesn't he? he seems yeah. to see him see him a lot in Nottingham Forest. He seems, you know, he seems to think he knows how to strike a ball. I think he said today, and yeah, you know I mean, so mm, once he's fit, wouldn't be surprised if he sort of uh, finds a way into the team because he's certainly seems to. I know we haven't seen a lot of him really anyway, but since seems like a player who, you know, he was, he was capable of a lot of things and uh, has seemingly the backing of his manager. So, um, yeah, maybe, I don't know, if you're talking, however tough it might be between now and then for the four, however many games down the line, by then, if you've got Pagana, if you've got Calvert-Lewin, if you've got Nathan Patterson, suddenly options open up. So, you know, and there could be ways to come with um, the cavalry on the way, maybe. It's quite scary, though. You look at the two fixtures on Wednesday evening. Obviously, it's we're at Arsenal, Wolves are at Liverpool, and that's it. I mean, a point wouldn't take us out of the relegation zone. And then Leeds are at Chelsea on Saturday. And, oh, you just think... The way, the way Chelsea are playing. I know. <laughs> that's, if, if there's anybody you don't want them to play at the moment, it's probably Chelsea, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know... I, I hate to be the worst case scenario merchant because I'm not usually that way inclined. But you know, we, if we don't get anything on Wednesday, they've then got a game in hand out on us that 
yeah, by by the end of this weekend coming, that bottom of the table could look a bit scary. Mm. Um, and that's that. That's with us going to Arsenal, where we don't expect much. I mean, West Ham are at Brighton at the weekend. Obviously, Bournemouth have got a terrible run coming up, but it's not really them we're worried about, is it? It's who we're going to catch. And it, 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 it's it's like I've said on the podcast a few times now on this horrendous run we've we've gone on the way we've gifted points in the, to teams in the bottom half. I worked out that of the seven teams we faced since that first home game against Leicester, we've won one and lost six. So that's six of our rivals down at the bottom. We've given three points to, um, and we've scored three goals and conceded thirteen. So it's. You know, and it, it, that's when you look at it. And I think, you know, I worked out the table where if we'd have just got a point in those games, we're six points clear of the drop zone if we just draw. Because obviously, then that, that's where, you know, if if I had the power to, I'd love to take the three points from the Arsenal game and get it against one of those rivals instead. Because obviously, taking three points of Arsenal makes no difference to us. Yeah, and it, it's, quite, it's quite weird that, that you only realise it when you're down there that, it actually matters who you beat and who you lose to. It really does. Because if we'd have beaten just one of those rivals instead of Arsenal and drawn to one of them instead of City, we're probably out the relegation zone with the same points we're on now. So we've we've put ourselves in there, not necessarily because we've lost. It's because of who we've lost to. Um, you know, we, we would be 12th, two points behind 11th place Villa on 29 points. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at trying to reach Chelsea then. And that that's not even winning those games, that's just drawing with them. Um so that's that's for me where, you know, the season's on a knife edge, it's it's because of who we've lost to. And I think it's so key that we have taken four points from Leeds, because obviously if say we hadn't beaten them and our three points have come against Manchester United, for example, while that'd be such a lift for us, the you know, Leeds would be even further away. So, you know, that's why the Forest game is just gigantic. Because it because it keeps them closer to us, you know. The, the term six pointer gets thrown around, but these games really are. They really, really are. I suppose conversely, though, if we had drawn those games, would Frank Lampard still in charge? Be still in charge? <laughs> That's a really good point, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, not not. I, I I need. I want points. I don't. I don't. I don't care. I, I don't care who's in charge. I, I, we did. We need. We need points, and we need points against the best teams to get them. So I mean, it, it, I suppose it wouldn't matter. But um, there is a there is a theory that thinks you know it, maybe it had to get that bad to get better. I don't know. I hope. I hope that's the case. Just one thing for me, actually. Um, the amazing Jordan Pickford save. Um, oh. But you know, he while we don't have a match winner at one end of the pitch, we do with the other and. You know, on a different day, if he makes that save and then Neil Morpay sticks a goal in at the back post or Tarkovs, you know, that's that's another massive three points. So I think, you know, a lot's been it's been said about recruitment and stuff, but you know, he has been a really, really good sign and, and you know, I think he had a bit of a wobble about two years ago and I've just been really impressed with how he's worked on his game, worked on his mentality, just really worked on his on himself as a goalkeeper. And I just thought that was a really top draw save and it just so soon after signing his contract, obviously, it just showed the importance. And I think probably in the last five years, I don't think another player has won a small point than Jordan Pickford. Yeah, I think you're probably right. He's a glutton for punishment, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it was just 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 gutting that he makes a save and then two minutes later, Dresser Gade dives in and gives away a penalty because it was you know he'd he'd given us the platform to to go and win the game, Jordan Pickford. But that's the way it goes, I suppose. All right, we'll move on to uh, to this week's question. Today marks the uh, seventh anniversary of Fahad Mashiri coming on board at Everton as its major shareholder when he purchased forty nine point nine percent stake in the club. Uh, he has, of course, since taken his shareholding to over 94%, but in the interim, very little has gone to plan, at least on the pitch. So this week's question is, how would you rate Mashiri's tenure at Everton out of 10? With 10 obviously being brilliant, and 10 and zero being utterly disastrous. <laughs> oh, I look forward to the answers on this one. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, this was oh. your question. Why don't you go ahead? I know because I'm scared mine's going to be a lot lower than everybody else's and then I look <laughs> right. So I am going to give out of 10, oh, this is this is low, two and a half. Ooh. And the half is because I'm giving him a half because I think he's got good intentions. <laughs> you know, he's he's not, you know, I think he's he's come in and he's had the right intentions to genuinely compete. But I've had to give him such a low mark because obviously... You know, we've we've talked about this forever, haven't we, for the last seven years? But he he didn't make the right changes when he came in, and then you know the just the outlay on on you know the team to to make us worse. Um, you know the the money we've spent hiring and firing managers, it has been disastrous. Um, but he does get marks from me for obviously delivering the stadium, um, which is huge for the for the future of the football club. Obviously, that you know the narrative around that would be very different if we were to open the stadium in the Championship, and I think that's why he gets such a low mark because that is you know a, there's a chance that that could happen. Um, but I think an, a, another a mark for him as well is that you know as a as a as an Evertonian who started watching the Blues in like the mid nineties, his uh, backing and his investment did allow us to bring in Carlo Ancelotti. It did allow us to have a player like James Rodriguez. He has sort of given us, he gave us hope and he did manage to, you know, you can't slate him when it comes to actually backing the club. He's been there, he's done it. It's just unfortunately I've had to mark him so low just because the decision-making year on year has been really very poor. Um, and, you know, especially the, the sort of recruitments around the centre-forward. I know that that was probably the undoing of uh, Ronald Koeman as well in his second season, um, that we didn't bring that player in. And it just seems for me that the lessons haven't been learned. And I think another thing I would add is that with Mashiri, I was really excited, but the alarm bells for me were were in that second season when he came out and we'd, we were on a bit of a horrendous run, but we played some difficult sides. And he said that Burnley was the only expected loss. And in terms of, for me, what I wanted from new ownership was the mentality to be completely changed and refreshed at Everton. And I feel that he only made it worse. Um, so that, that for me, is why he, he gets such a low mark. I mean, some of our listeners will probably think that two and a half is generous. But <laughs> some of the, you know, some of them, you know, maybe others would give him a, a higher mark. So, um, you know, I know two and a half is, is very low, but I do think in terms of, what we expected and what the plan was. Because, you know, I wasn't expecting us to do a Man City or Chelsea and be sat here with like five league titles. 
but I did expect some sort of more progress in the cups, especially. I expected the recruitment to be one of the best in the country, just because it, you know, we done well with that, and I, I felt like the money opened doors to really to get the best. And it seems, you know, Steve Walsh came in with a great reputation. Marcel Brands came in with a great reputation. And, you know, as it's unraveled, has Machiri had too much involvement? You know, is it to do with the previous board members? And it, it, it is just the very fact that we don't know that information just shows how messy it's been, really. Um, so, it, you know, it, I know the, the word incompetence gets thrown around a lot, a lot around Everton recently, but it has it has been incompetence that, you know, I just feel that he didn't employ the right people at the start to really make the right decisions, as maybe Newcastle have done, as City did, as Chelsea did, when they got investment. Uh, I'll, I'll follow you here, Al, because <laughs> my number at the moment is three. And I think <laughs> if you have to, <laughs> if, you, if you're taking it purely on results, not just on the pitch, obviously, but the results of, of where we are under his tenure to this date, um, yes, we have a, a stadium that's, I mean, the stadium issue on its own is, is massive, but it's not finished yet. It's not funded. And so I don't think you can, you can't draw a line under that one yet and say that it's done. But, you know, obviously, if he pulls that off, then that, that could be, um, pr- providing we stay up, could be one of the most significant developments uh, in the club's history, potentially. Um, but if you look at, the, you know, the, the fact that we are struggling in a relegation battle, Seven years into his into his tenure, I don't see how you can mark him much higher. Uh, like you, I think for me, he gets enormous kudos for for his ambition and his investment. You can't you can't discount that. Um, and I think, and I've written articles on the site um, a few times on this. You can't you can take every managerial appointment and and justify it, and you know. Yes, they've they've turned out um, not to be right in hindsight, but I think most of us were on board with most of them. And you can take Kuman, who was a, a manager on the rise, um, and I think most people thought that he would be a, a fantastic appointment. Turned out to be a very bad fit for Everton Football Club. Um, and how he's failed upwards since has been quite remarkable. Uh, you, you could look at Marco Silva and and see what obviously is is he's proving now is he's a very capable manager. Um, and I think that was, he was just, he just, the job was just too big for him and it was just too soon for him at the time that he arrived. Obviously, Carlo Ancelotti, if we'd been able to hold on to him longer, things might've been different. Um, but at the same time, I mean, Ancelotti was struggling to get us uh, to winning matches at home. He, he was, he'd reached a, uh, reached a brick wall with some of those players. Um, and I think it would have taken um, a level of investment that we couldn't manage to to keep him at the club. Um, I think things just started to unravel once he'd lost the plot with Benitez um, and the small pool of managers that we've been after since is really a reflection of uh, of the sort of diminishing attractiveness and the d- diminishing pulling power that this club now has under his uh, leadership. So I think that the mark that you give him at the end of the season might be different depending on where we end up. I think if we stay up and, you know, you can, you can kind of get that initial, um, that initial direction back on track and it's going to have to be piecemeal and it's going to be slow and the expectations are going to be modified accordingly. But I think you could, you could push that mark up 
if the stadium continues to be on track and we stay in the division. Um, but right now, I mean, I, 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 that's where I am. Um, I didn't want to be like, you know, pedantic and go naught out of 10 or one out of 10 or something like that, you know, but like, um, let's face it, we're in that ballpark, aren't we? I mean, it, it, it's hard to, um, it's hard. Yeah, I don't think it's it's possible to give him more than a five. You know what I mean? And that, and the, you know, a five seems remarkably generous, really. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm often, uh, I'm often um, targeted for my uh, poor player rating contributions on Sofia Web. So I don't know what I'm going to be like for my father Mashiri rating comp. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to follow. I'm just going to toe the line and go with a two point seven five. I think. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I mean, there's a few things, obviously the stadium, and I believe it will go ahead. I think it will, um, that, that will happen somehow by hook or by crook. Um, I think you're right, actually, I didn't, I hadn't really thought about Carlo Ancelotti for a while, but you're right, Lyndon, it probably wouldn't have been a sustainable continuation on the Carlo, and he probably would have left by now, if even if Real Madrid hadn't have come calling, whichever way that would have ended up. But I like that he brought a manager in like Carlo. Well, I like that he brought Carlo Ancelotti in, and I, re- I love that finally had a manager that I really, really liked and really, really admired, and somebody who I felt protected the club well and uh, looked after the club well, so much better than his next manager did. Getting Rafa, Rafael Benitez in was a real, real low mark for me. I, I, um, I didn't and didn't really want to go back to Everton. Uh, at that point, I think I actually I got in touch with the box office. Said, oh, I'd like to refund the I'd like to refund the, the season. Yeah, I'd like to get rid of the season. I don't want. And I tried trying to call that bluff a little bit, and they were like, "Oh yeah, fine, yeah, go ahead." Which I thought was a bit a bit crappy of them, to be honest. But um, that's how that's how, that's what that that's what I'd uh, gone. So I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. no, don't, don't be so hasty. It's all right. I'll I'll, I'll come back." <laughs> but like, um, yeah, that was a real low mark. Um, uh, too much meddling, too many sacking. Yeah, too many sackings at the wrong time. I thought as well with a lot of the managers too too hasty. Some terrible fan, too, some ten- terrible um, player recruitment. A lot of player recruitment over time. It's been it's been a big mess. It's really has, and you you know you can go on for. We could probably do a podcast, many podcasts just about it. Um, seven years today. I was actually in Stuttgart when I found out the news that I was uh, over uh, my uh, my wife supports Stuttgart. So we went over to catch a game. And uh, found out on Twitter just before, a few hours before the match that we, that this had uh, this had happened, and it was just, just absolutely fantastic. Stuttgart in that game, we're supporting Stuttgart, were pushing for Europe and uh, lost at home to uh, Hanover, who were set fair for relegation that season. Stuttgart from there went on a terrible run and ended up getting relegated themselves. Kind of sums it up, yeah, <laughs> the way uh, yeah, the way it's uh, the way it's been. I wish he'd have come a few years earlier. And maybe before David Boys left, maybe just the start of that, say the start of that season. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, hindsight's a beautiful thing. You can't pick and choose on these things. But with the setup Moyes had, with the structure he had, with the players he's had, if he had that investment and money, then blimey, he might well have left a legacy. And we might be able to turn, you know, he might have been able to knock back Alex Ferguson and Man United then and say, oh, look, I'm bloody building something here now. You know what I mean? Shame that didn't happen then. Um, but. Yeah, it's 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 very difficult to find more positives than negatives under uh, Fard Mashiri's um, regime so far. So yeah, solid two point seven five for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to mix it up a bit. Um, I'm going to give him half marks. And by the way, before everybody kind of throws things and um, gives him terrible <laughs> abuse, 
Um, I I completely and utterly agree that I think if us four had been given half a billion pounds, we probably would have done a better job in total. Um, that's the caveat. But what I think it's easy to do here is to rate Everton Football Club from the moment he took over, which was probably about a seven or an eight out of ten. You know, we 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 were we were a solid, established, traditional football club which had a an identity of some kind at the time. Um, we were looking upwards rather than downwards. We had some good players. There had been year upon year upon year upon year of doing things the right way. Now you look at us and we are about a two or a three out of 10 as a football club. But how much of that is actually squarely on Mashiri is my question. The managers he's employed, I agree with Kuman, I agree with Silva, I agree with Ancelotti. Lampard is the question mark, but he got he kept us up. Benitez and Allardyce are aberrations. Directors of football, Walsh, you can see his working. You can see why he did that because there was a clear stream of players at Exeter, uh, at, uh, Exeter at Leicester that you know came that they managed to find and eventually turn them into a championship winning team. Brands, I think, was a good appointment, but was never allowed to do his job, which is why I'm giving this half and half. Thing going on. Mm. well, we don't know yet. Um, agents and meddling. Massive, massive crosses. Um, plus points. Obviously the stadium. The money he's put in. The intent. I do believe he's intended to do the right thing at every step. I don't think yes. he's a malicious man who wants to run anybody into the ground. I think it's sometimes naive. And I think... It's a the, the the where we've gone in those seven years is a as much a reflection of who he has been working for him than him himself. So as a if I'm playing fantasy football owner, <laughs> you know you, you employ people to do a job. You say here's my five hundred million quid. With that money, we should be able to do some stuff. Every now and again, I'm going to be really annoying and just make my own decisions anyway. Sorry, guys. That's the way it is. I'm the man with the big bucks. So I'm going to give him half marks because I can see that a lot of stuff, I can see why he did it. Then he's got as much wrong at the other end, which has been terrible use of money, time and resource as he's got right. I can't. I can't work out. Um, I, I can't work out some things at all why he's done it like he's done it. But some things has not been up to him. So I'm going to give him around five out of ten. I think that's generous. But <laughs> I would agree. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, but I, I, what I'm saying is squarely on him. I don't know whether it's all him. Okay. What does that give us as an average? About a three? Well, it's 13.25 out of 40. (laughs) Wouldn't be be very good on Dancing on Ice, would it? (laughs) I'd love to see Miss Shaby on Dancing on Ice, though. (laughs) Have to like the Core Raid, wouldn't it, wouldn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Miss Shaby doing Eye of the Tiger. (laughs) <laughs> on the ice would be uh, yeah. would be some sight. <laughs> uh, I think 
that's probably a good place to leave it. <laughs> uh, to wrap up our uh, our first half century of podcasts, uh, we're mulling the possibility of an instant match reaction pod on Wednesday evening, or failing that, a preview for that uh, massive game at Forest on Sunday that we'll record on Thursday. But uh, either way, until then, uh, thanks so much uh, for listening again, Blues, and up the toppies. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.